Genesis chapter 32, and let's begin reading at verse number 24. The Word of God says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew, that shrank. Let's read verse 24 once more and then we'll pray. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray, Lord, now that your Son would be lifted up and magnified in the preaching, in the praising, and in the surrender that our hearts exhibit to the Holy Ghost this morning. Father, we want only to do your will. So help us, Lord, to be surrendered and obedient to you. Speak to each heart that which would glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. If there's any amongst us lost and undone, Lord, show them their greatest and chiefest need, that of Calvary. And I pray that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. We'll be sure to thank you for what you're going to do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Most of us have read this passage in Genesis chapter 32 before. Most of us are aware of some of the implications of this midnight wrestling match that took place between Jacob and uh, who the text reveals is the Lord. I believe that Jacob had an interaction and an experience with what we like to call a theophany or a Christophany. Now, that's a big $10 word, but what it really means is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. If you think that the first time that uh, the Son of God ever drew back the curtain of time and uh, temporal matters and stepped into this world was at Bethlehem, then you need to read your Bible a little bit closer. Because all through the Old Testament, you'll find the Word of God, Christ said this, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O Lord. That's a prophecy out of the book of Psalms concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And he told the Pharisees, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which speak of me, which testify of me. So all through the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus Christ. Not just pictures of Him, but sometimes you'll find that He's right there present in the passage. And we could go through a catalog of them, and I've done it before. But I believe that the man that wrestled with Jacob in this passage was the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say, and I just want to preach to you for a few moments on the idea of God wrestling with a man. Now, some of you, if you're babes in Christ, this may not occur to you. It may not be something you've experienced. 
But I promise you that anybody that has spent even more than a few weeks or months living for Jesus Christ has had an experience similar to what Jacob experienced here. Now you say, preacher, I've never had God just show up in, in physical form and wrestle with me and touch the hollow of my thigh. No, you've probably never had that happen to you. But spiritually, the same thing has probably happened to you that happened to Jacob in this passage. There are times when God comes and wrestles with us over matters. I believe as we read this passage, and I think it's pretty clear, look at verse 24. The Bible's a specific book, amen? Uh, the Bible isn't written on accident. Nothing is written just by chance, by happenstance. The Word of God is very clear in what it says. It does not say that Jacob wrestled with the Lord. That's not what it says. It does not say that they wrestled together. But look at verse 24. The Bible's very clear to tell us that they wrestled a man with him. I believe in this passage that we have an instance where God initiated the wrestling match. There are times when we wrestle with God, there's no doubt. There are times when we're trying to get a prayer through or we're trying to get a hold of God about a matter. And I'm not trying to imply that it's difficult to pray. It's easy to pray. But you know what it means to be in the prayer closet, to be clinging to the horns of the altar uh, for dear life and to be begging God for a matter. That's us wrestling with the Lord. But can I say there are times when God comes to wrestle with us about a matter. There are times when God seeks us out. Jacob is at a very interesting place in his life. In Jacob's mind, there's a good chance that this is the very last night he'll ever be alive. And I think in a lot of ways, as you study the life of Jacob, this was the very last night that Jacob was alive. Because after tonight, he's not Jacob anymore. Now he's Israel. Jacob is going to meet his brother Esau, whom he had wronged and stolen the blessing from. You know that God had it purpose that Jacob would get the blessing. He didn't have to steal it from Esau in the way that he did. Can I say there's a lot of things God loved to do for us if we just step back and let God do it and quit trying to do it ourselves. There's a lot of things God would love to do in our life if we just take our hand off the matter, make it a matter of prayer, and allow God to move and to do something. One way or another, Jacob was going to get the blessing, but because Jacob sought to do it in his own way, uh, he brought the wrath of his brother Esau upon him. Uh, he was driven out from the presence of his family and uh, began on a journey that would uh, meet with God, that would meet with Gentiles, that would meet with his future bride. Uh, an interesting journey in his life that Jacob would take. Uh, but now the, it's come full circle. Jacob is about to meet Esau for the first time in many years. Jacob believes Esau is still angry with him, believes Esau is probably going to take his life. If you've got an older brother, you know that that's not just an empty threat. Amen? He had every reason to believe that Esau was going to take his life. And so what he does is he takes, he's got two wives, he sends one one way, he sends one another way, he sends half of his things one way, half of his things another way, and in front of him he sends a gift for his brother Esau. And he's getting ready the next day to see his brother face to face and to meet what he would presume would be judgment that would fall upon him. He sent a gift uh, trying to do his best uh, to abate the judgment and the wrath and the anger of his brother Esau. But can I say that though that was what Jacob feared the most, though Jacob feared the power and authority of Esau, he was going to meet with a power and authority far greater than Esau's before he ever got there. Can I say that your greatest battles that you fight in life are won and lost before you ever step on the battlefield? 
The greatest battles that you face in life are won and lost before you ever step on the battlefield. They're won and lost in your prayer closet. They're won and lost. And by the way, this passage deals with prayer. If you read over, and I believe it's the book of uh, Ezekiel, and I might be mistaken, I didn't intend on referencing it, but it speaks uh, about, or it's the book of uh, Isaiah, it speaks about the wrestling in prayer that Jacob did with the Lord this night. I'm not preaching on prayer, but I think it's worth saying that by the time we hit the battlefield, listen, by the time our kids are grown, most of the time the battle's won or lost. But by the time that we're going into counseling for our marriage, usually the battle is won or lost. You see, it's determined and dictated through our devotion and through the prayer closet. And in the same way, before he was ever going to set foot on the battlefield, he had a greater battle that would take place. Now, some of you here are saying, well, preacher, what does this have to do with me? I'm not Jacob. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not there uh, in Peniel. I'm not face to face with God. But I would say it would be safe to presume that in a room this size and with this many people, uh, it wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination to think there could be some folks that God's trying to wrestle with about some things. You know, if you're God's child, He's not going to let you live any way that you want to live. I don't say that to threaten or to scare anybody. That's just a, a stark reality. If you're God's child, He's not going to let you live any way that you want. There's some things that God is going to wrestle with you about. There are some matters that God must see settled in our lives if He is to gain some victory. That's the very reason for a wrestling match. The very reason for a wrestling match, the very reason you'd wrestle with someone, is to override their will in a matter. Don't you think so? That's the very reason you tangle with someone, is to override their will in a matter. And in the same way, there are some things that God wants from Jacob that he's going to get if he has to do it by wrestling with him. You say, preacher, how do I know if God's wrestling with me? Well, I'm convinced that probably if God's wrestling with a man, he already knows it. But if you'd say, preacher, I just wonder. I've been going through some things. Could it be that God's wrestling with me? Let me just point out three things that I see in Jacob that I think could be indicative that God may be trying to get your attention. Notice, first off, are you startled? Are you troubled? Now, there's nothing more troubling and startling than a man picking a fight with you, don't you think? Imagine the surprise that it was for Jacob. The Bible is very clear to say that Jacob was left alone. Jacob had gone where he went for the very purpose of getting away from everybody. And oh, I've seen Christians sometimes that have something going on in their life and they withdraw from fellowship and they withdraw from the presence of those that love the Lord and they're pushing everyone away and they're trying to get alone. Why? Just like Jonah. You know, Jonah ran clear from Israel all the way to a whale's belly, but the Bible tells us specifically that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. It wasn't Nineveh he was running from. And God may be grappling with you and wrestling with you about some things. And you're saying, Lord, I don't want to give that up. Don't you understand it's God that you're running from? That's what Jonah was trying to get away. He was running from the presence of the Lord. And in the same way, Jacob said, I want to be in a place where I'm alone. He didn't expect for God to show up in the midst of his circumstances. And some of you may be in a situation where you're trying to push everyone away. You're trying to get alone. But you can't escape the troubling feeling that is permeating your days. I'd ask, are you startled? I'd ask, number two, are you stalled? Now, there's another reason that you'd wrestle with a person, and that's to stop them. Amen? To stop them dead in their tracks, right where they're at. 
Jacob had been journeying, but now he's met with an opponent that has stopped him in his tracks. You know, there's times that God gets our attention through troubling us, but then there's times when God gets our attention through hedging up our way about us. I was just reading last night in Hosea chapter number 2 where the Word of God tells us concerning idolatrous Israel uh, that they would uh, shut off all of their lovers, that they would do away with their corn and their wine and their oil and their flax, and that they would hedge up away about them. There's sometimes in our life that we're, we beat our heads against a wall that God's put there for our protection. There's times in our life that we're frustrated that we can't move any further, but what we don't understand is God's trying to get a hold of us about a matter. He won't let us proceed any further because you know what we do? We just walk on right past it and miss what God is trying to do in our life. Sometimes it's that we're troubled, but sometimes it's that we're spinning our wheels and God's trying to get a hold of us. I'd say a third thing, and this is just an introduction, but I would ask, are you sorrowful? Now, I don't know about you. I guess it depends on how big you are. If you're a big old boy, then then getting in a fight don't bother you that much. But if you're like me, uh, getting in a fight's a pretty sorrowful thing. No doubt it was painful. No doubt there was some 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 upsetness. No doubt he was very grieved by the circumstances he was going through. Now, I'm trying to be careful. I understand folks struggle. I understand that sometimes there are physical and chemical reasons that folks struggle. And I'm not trying to make any kind of sickness into being the divine intervention of God. But can I say that there are times when God robs us of our joy because He's trying to get something from us. There are times when in our life, because of the way we're living, the way we're behaving, or just because of something that God's trying to get across to us, that He has to rob us of our song so that we'll listen to Him. It could be God's wrestling with you. I see three things in this passage that God was trying to get from Jacob. And can I just give them to you real quick? I'd say first off, that God wrestled with Jacob because He was trying to get control. If you've ever raised kids, and mine's not really up to this age yet, you know, he's still, he, he refuses to walk. He's lazy. He can walk, but he just refuses to walk. But he's still small enough. Now, he can crawl now, but he's still small enough that you'd like put him in a bucket or something and he'll stay there. Or, you know, I mean, you, you can put him in the closet and he can't go anywhere. He can't operate the doors. But, but you've seen what it's like when they get to the age where they can run, where they can move. You've seen what it's like when they get to the place where they can throw tantrums. And you've seen mama and daddy. It's like that kid grows eight extra arms all of a sudden. And they're just flailing and smacking and swatting. And they're trying to wrestle with them to gain control of them. I would say it's intrinsic to the nature of wrestling with someone that what you're wanting to do is control them. In fact, the best way you can win a wrestling match is just to knock a person clear out. Isn't that right? See, then you've gained all the control. And I think sometimes it's not that there's some issue in our life. Sometimes it's not that there's some overwhelming or besetting sin. Sometimes it's not necessarily that we have found ourselves going down the wrong path. But it's merely that in all the things that we're doing, we have shunned and spurned the control of God. We're doing it our own way, in the way that we feel, in the way that we think is right. And sometimes God will show up and trouble us and wrestle with us to gain control control of us once again. You know, the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
And that's not indicating that if we're disobedient to the Spirit of God, God casts us off and we lose our sonship. But what it is denoting is that to truly live as a son of God, to behave as a son of God, means to be led by the Spirit of God. Listen, uh, this Christianity thing, there ain't a whole bunch of chiefs and very few Indians. There's only one chief in this Christianity thing. There's only one captain. Either he's running your life, either he's controlling things or he's not. You may say, but preacher, I'm in church. But preacher, I'm not. I'm not out drinking. I'm not out carrying on, but preacher, I'm being faithful to my spouse. But preacher, I'm not out in the midst of the world and in the midst of sin. But can I say that you don't have to be out in the midst of the world and in the midst of sin. You can have a zeal for righteousness, but not knowing the true righteousness of God because you're doing it your own way and in your own strength. God was breaking Jacob on this night. You understand that, don't you? He was breaking him. It's interesting the Bible says that he wrestled with him and, and that he prevailed against him. When it says he prevailed against him, it's not saying God prevailed against Jacob. It's saying Jacob prevailed against God. There's times when we're winning this fight that we have with the Lord. And you know, sometimes we have a tendency, because we're so secularized in our mentality, we think that, that the winners are by virtue of their winning the good guys. Can I say there'll be times you'll wrestle with God and it'll feel like you're getting your way and like you're winning. You understand all God has to do is reach out and touch you to lay you in a hospital bed. I don't say it to scare you, but hey, Noah was moved with fear in building the ark. Fear has its place. I can tell you right now, growing up, I loved my daddy. I respected my daddy, but I feared my daddy too. I've heard people say, well, I just don't want my kids to be afraid of me. That ain't how I grew up. I I didn't tremble in his presence. I wasn't afraid to go up and hug his neck. But if I had done wrong and if I had sinned, I had reason to fear my daddy. I had reason to. And in the same way with God, you understand all it takes. You may think you're winning now, but God will get control just as soon as he wants to get control. It it don't take but just him reaching out and touching. Lay you in a hospital bed. Put you standing beside a freshly dug grave. It doesn't take but God reaching out and touching you. And you need to understand what he's really trying to do is just get control of you. We've never lived in a day, as we do today, of out-out, obstinate, mutinous, rebellious Christianity as we do today. And they dress it up, man. I get that. They dress it up as religion. They dress it up right. But you understand that any of us who have not yielded to God the full control of our life, we're living as rebels. And we may think we've got a pretty good way that we're going. We may think, hey, it may not be God's way, but it's certainly not the worst way. But you understand that anything short of total obedience is disobedience. And sometimes God shows up in our life, rings our bell, grabs hold of us, because He's just trying to get control over His child. You ever been out in the grocery store and one of them eight-armed kids that I was talking about? And they're knocking stuff over and they're, and, and, you know, it's easy. If you don't have kids, it's easy to be judgmental. But if you've ever been there and had the kids, you kind of feel for the parents. But then it does run through your mind too. What would, what would surely fix that real quick? <laughs> and you look at it and there is a sense of pity. But also you want to look at the parent and say, get control of your child. Understand God won't be the parent in the grocery store with you. God won't be the parent in the grocery store with you. There's too much at stake. His name's too glorious. His name's too high and holy to be profaned by our rebellion. God will gain control of us. I think God was trying to get control of Jacob. But then I think, too, that God was trying to get a confession out of Jacob. 
Jacob confessed some very interesting things in this passage. Now, you have to know a little bit about the history of Jacob. Jacob had been asked his name once before, if you remember, there in front of his earthly daddy when he was dressed up as his brother Esau. Uh, the, the, if I can think straight, Isaac looked at him and said, Is this Esau? Art thou Esau? And he lied to his daddy. He said, Yes, I'm Esau. All through his life, Jacob had accomplished what he accomplished through conniving and through wrongdoing. But now in the midst of this wrestling match, God asked Jacob, Jacob, what is thy name? I don't think, and we'll talk here in a moment about his nature, but I think God wanted him to confess his name because that was an issue in his life that had been a wedge between him and his family and him and God, and God wanted it to be confessed. Do you know that if you sin, I mentioned this the other night, when you sin, you've got to do something with that sin. It don't just go away. Now, I'm thankful that I don't have to remember every single thing that I've ever done wrong in my life when I go into the presence of God. I'm thankful for that. I'd never get it all confessed. But you know that most of the time there is something when we go. When there's a wedge between us and God, most of the time God does make us aware of what that sin is. And what God was trying to get Jacob to do was confess his sin. Confess what he had done wrong. Confess that he had lied to his daddy. Confess that he had wronged his father-in-law. Confess that he had stolen from his brother. Confess the wrong things that he had done in his life. You know, sometimes God's... I've, I've been there. I don't know if you have, but I know I have. I've been there when I've gotten sin in my life. And I don't know what it is about sin that makes us feel like we're superheroes sometimes. But all of a sudden, when we've got sin in our life, we want to build a little trench around it, put up a wall, dig a moat, put a drawbridge, and fortify our sin in our lives. We don't want to confess what that sin is. You know what confession is, don't you? That's agreeing with God about a matter. That's agreeing. What God was trying to get Jacob to do is admit and acknowledge and recognize that he had sinned, that he had done wrong in his life. Oftentimes, God is putting us through the ringer. God is wrestling with us. God is grappling with us because there's sin unconfessed in our life. God knows we cannot move on. Have you ever stopped to thought that Jacob wouldn't have survived the meeting with Esau if he hadn't had the meeting with God? You know, the Bible says... that. <laughs> That some men's judgment comes before him, and some men goes on after. You ever stop and think that if it hadn't been for the wrestling with the Lord, he would have wrestled with Esau? Have you ever stopped and thought? You remember the Old Testament prophet spoke about the, the judgment and the chastisement of God and said that if thieves had come in, they wouldn't have left a cluster of grapes. If thieves had come in, they wouldn't have left anything to you, but God has left you a remnant. God has had mercy. God has shown mercy. And do you understand that your sin can hurt you more than God can hurt you? Your sin will do more to destroy you than God's chastisement will do to destroy you. And the reason that God's wrestling with you is so that you don't wind up in the hands of Esau. The reason, listen to me, young folks, older folks, middle-aged folks, fat folks, skinny folks, pretty folks, ugly folks, listen to me. The reason God wrestles with you is to keep you from destroying yourself. If He doesn't get a hold of you now, there won't be any getting a hold of you. And he's trying to get to you before sin takes its full course. The Bible says that lust when it conceived bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. God's trying to get to you before sin's finished with you. You say, oh preacher, I've been saved. Glory. 
God bless you. That's wonderful. And God has forgiven you of your sins as a sinner. But you still stand accountable as a son. And He has saved you from the penalty of sin. But don't think for one minute that sin doesn't still have consequences. And as a child of God, understand that sin can be, ju- sin can be more destructive as a child of God in your life than if you were lost. You say, why, preacher? Because not only will you meet with the consequences of sin, but you'll also meet with the chastisement of God. God's wrestling with you to stop you from hurting yourself worse. He wanted him to confess his name, but then I see that he wanted him to confess his nature. Names mean something in the Bible. Nowadays they don't. You know, people are not, most people don't even know what their name means. But names meant something in the Bible. Jacob's name meant supplanter, deceiver. Trickster. It had been indicative of his entire character. He had wrestled his whole life. Do you know that the only time that the word struggle or any variant of the word struggle is found in the Word of God is in Genesis chapter 25 when the Bible says that the children, speaking of Jacob and Esau, struggled within her. Struggled. Jacob had been wrestling since before he was born. He had wrestled with Esau. He was the deceiver. He was the heel grabber. He was the one when he came out of the womb that was grappling and battling with his brother. He had struggled with Esau and prevailed. He had struggled with Laban and prevailed. He had struggled all of his life and prevailed. But now he's meeting a man that won't let him prevail. God was trying to get him to acknowledge his sin and his sin nature. Do you understand that we will never grow in the Lord until we recognize that we're sin-fallen? Just because you're saved, that don't mean you're not depraved. We're still sin-fallen. Your flesh will never be any better than it was the day that you got saved. Your flesh. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You can never trust your flesh. Your flesh, it can't be sanctified. It can't be eradicated. Not until Jesus comes and our glory, our vile body is made like unto His glorious body. Your flesh will always lead you down the pathway of sin. You can never, ever, 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 ever trust it. You say, preacher, how do I keep from trusting? The Bible says that if we'll be led by the Spirit of God, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The only way to battle your flesh is not through your will, not through your strength. That's the great paradox. That's the great dichotomy of it, is that if you try to overcome your flesh through your strength, you're just trying to overcome flesh with flesh. The only way to overcome your flesh is through yielding to the leading of the Spirit of God. That's the only way. Your nature will always be wicked and it will not be done away with. Just as your first Adam gave you your nature, only your second Adam can take away your nature. He can only take that away when he comes and changes our vile body like on his glorious body. He wanted Jacob to acknowledge his nature. Yes, I'm a deceiver. Yes, I'm a supplanter. Yes, I'm a trickster. Yes, I'm wicked. Yes, I'm evil. And sometimes God's wrestling with us because we think we got this thing figured out. We think we don't need Him anymore. We can do it on our own. And God has to grab hold of us and make us understand that we still are sinful. Let me give you a third thing. I think He wanted Him to confess His need. A very interesting thing happens in this passage. Because at first, God's grabbed hold of Jacob. But then we find that Jacob grabs back hold of God. 
And now God reaches out and touches the hollow of his thigh because Jacob is prevailing. And at first, uh, Jacob is wrestling with God. But then after God touches the hollow of his thigh, which is the seed of his strength and of his power, you can imagine if your hip was uh, dislodged out of place, the difficulty you'd have standing your whole center of gravity. You'd have nowhere to place the weight in your body. And all of a sudden, he's not grappling, he's clinging. And the Lord says, let me go. Jacob says, I will not let you go except you bless me. Sometimes God is grappling with us because he wants us to come to him over the needs that we have. Oh, listen. Never has there been a more prideful creature than man. Never has there been a more self-sufficient, quote unquote, creature than mankind. We got to get to the place. I, I and I've, I've mentioned this and mentioned it, and it's just a it's just a good way to drive this point home about seeing a church sign that said, "When all else fails, try prayer." When all else fails, see, it's those kinds of folks God has to wrestle with to make them understand that you don't try prayer when all else fails. But before God ever has to grab hold of you, you ought to be trying to grab out and grab hold of Him. Sometimes God is wrestling with us to show us we do need Him or to cause us to bring the need that we have to Him. There's no need that you have that God's unable to meet. I understand. I understand sometimes God uses human instrumentality. I understand that God sometimes uses us to fulfill the needs that we have. I'm aware of that. A man can sit there uh, that's healthy in body, that's healthy in mind, that has the ability to go out to work and refuses to work, and he can pray and pray and pray and ask God to feed him uh, with the ravens of the air like God did to Elijah. And I'm sure that God will probably laugh at him, point him over there in the New Testament where the Bible says that if a man won't work, he ought not eat, and that if a man does not provide for his household, He's worse than an infidel and denied the faith. I understand that sometimes we are the means that God uses for answering our needs. But do you understand that no matter what need we have, and I don't know about you, but i got more needs in my life that I can't meet than, I, than that I can meet. i got more needs in my life that I can't meet than that I can meet. God was trying to get Jacob to understand that he had a need of God. You need God. He's, listen, he's, he's not just a spice. He's not just the salt or the pepper that we put on things. He's, he's the manna from heaven. He's the substance. He is the matter of it all. He's the one with whom we have to do. Far too long has God just had a place in our life and not the place in our life. We think that if we pencil God in, we're doing Him a favor. And the best that some of us get is just to have Him be prominent. But understand that you're not in the will of God until He's preeminent. It's not enough that He just have a prominent place. He's got to be preeminent. It's not just enough that this thing of serving God be something that we pencil in, something we schedule in, something we do as a favor to the Lord uh, occasionally once a week or twice a week or if we're real, real spiritual, even three times a week. We have a need of God. And sometimes when we get to living like we have no need of God, God has to step into our world, grab hold of us, touch the hollow of our thigh, break us, and get us to the place where we are not combating with God. We are clinging to God, get us to the place where we'll call out and say, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. I think he wanted 
control over Jacob. And I think he wanted uh, in Jacob's life uh, to, to have him make a confession to him. But I think also, and I'm done, that God wanted a connection with Jacob. God wanted a connection with him. Very much more connected than when you're in a grappling match with someone. God wanted a proximity to Jacob. Do you know that sometimes God is wrestling with us to get control of us? Sometimes God is wrestling with us to try to get us to make confession of a sin, not confession to a priest. Nowhere in the Bible will you find confession to a priest, but confession to Him of our sins. But then there's times that God's not necessarily wanting control. Maybe He's already got it. God's not necessarily wanting confession. Maybe there's nothing to confess. But times that God just wants to be closer to us and wants a connection with us. I see that this connection came in three ways. And let me just just throw them out. I think God wanted a connection with Jacob by this experience. You know, there's sometimes that God's wrestling with us for the wrestling. There's sometimes God brings the storm for the storm. We preached on it just back of this. We always have this idea that when we go through a storm, it's the will of God that He step in and stop it. I'm thankful He can step between me and the storm. I'm thankful He can do that. But you know, there's sometimes that God doesn't get the glory by bringing us out of the storm. God gets the glory by bringing us through the storm. And you have to understand that there's sometimes that just the experience of wrestling, just the experience of the struggle, just that closeness that we have to God, you can't wrestle without getting close. And a lot of times, when God walks into a person's life and startles them and troubles them or stalls them or brings sorrow into their life, the first thing it does is drive them to the prayer closet and cause them to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I need You in my life. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it, God, but I want to make sure that my life is right with You. Jacob needed this experience. But I'd say not only did God want a connection through experience, but I think God wanted a connection through dependence. This, this changed Jacob in many ways. One of them was a change in identity. Now he's no longer Jacob, he's Israel. But another was a change in his walk that took place. From this day forth, the Bible says that Jacob halted upon his thigh. Jacob had carried a staff his whole life. You know that? That's what he says earlier in the chapter. He says, with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am two bands. What was he saying? He was saying, when I left out from my daddy's house, when I passed over Jordan, all I had was this staff, but now I am two bands. Now the things that God's blessed me with are so big that I can split them into two different caravans and send them away. Jacob had held a staff the whole time, but now he's halting upon the staff. There's a difference. You know, the psalmist said in Psalms 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Say, what's that staff, preacher? What's that staff that he was leaning upon? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now all of a sudden, Jacob has a dependence. You remember the story of Mephibosheth? I'd be happy just to preach a whole other sermon right now on it, but I'm not going to. A lot of things changed in Mephibosheth's life. You remember, he was the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. Down there in Lodabar, the place of barrenness. And David had ascended to the throne of Israel. 
And it was customary in that time when a king ascended to the throne that he snuff out, that he conquer and kill and slay and execute anyone that might have a claim to his throne. Every, there was all the reason in the world to believe that David, when he knew of Mephibosheth, would send an assassin, would send Joab, would send a general down into Lodabar to take his life. And that's what Mephibosheth uh, thought was going to happen when they came through the door. He thought that David had sent someone to take his life. But I'm thankful that that's not the kind of king that Israel had, and that's not the king that we have. The king sent word, said, I want you to bring Mephibosheth. Bring him out, load him up on a cart, and bring him out. They brought him to the king's palace. Mephibosheth still thinks he's going to die. And he looks at David, he, he, he says, Why would the Lord show kindness on a dead dog as I? He recognized his worthlessness. And David said, Because of your father Jonathan, I'm going to show you kindness. Can I say, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why God shows us kindness. He says, I want you to dress Mephibosheth in the... Best clothes that we can find. I want you to give him the cup of a king's son. I want you to set him a place at the king's table. I want to restore to him all the land that should be rightfully his. And not just restore it, I'm going to give him servants to tend to his crops, to bring it in. And he's not going to sit, he's not going to live in the servants' quarters, but he's going to live in the king's house. And all these things change. Oh, what it would have been to be Mephibosheth and to praise God for all that God had done in his life. But you know, there's one thing that did not change with Mephibosheth. The Bible speaks of him sitting at the king's table, and the Bible says that Mephibosheth was lame on both his feet for the rest of his days. God changed everything in Mephibosheth's life except the one thing that kept him seated at the king's table. Could have been if his legs worked, Mephibosheth would have said, Well, I can get out there and branch out on my own. I can go out and tend to my own crops. Maybe I'll go out, maybe I'll sell this property, go to a different kingdom and try to to advance myself there. But because he was lame on both of his feet, Mephibosheth, despite all of his blessings, despite all of his riches, despite all of the dignity, had to stay at the king's table. And do you know sometimes the connection that God wants to have with us and through us is through the dependency that has come through that. You know, there's times... I'm going to try to be real careful with what I'm saying. I, I, don't want, I don't want to intrude in onto anything that I've never been through. But can I say that sometimes the things that, call, that, that, that the wrestling has cost us, sometimes the things that God has had to take away from us, provide for us a consistent reminder of how much we need God. Some of you, there's graves you could go. Now, I'm being honest now, and I don't know. Only, only the Lord knows. So you listen to the Holy Ghost as I say this, and let Him speak to your heart. But some of you, there's graves you can go to that are reminders of your disobedience. Some of you, there are family members that, that won't pick up a phone when you call that are reminders of when God was wrestling with you. You say, preacher, why do you say it? Why do you overburden? I don't say it to overburden you. I say it to point out that therein lies a connection that you have with the Holy God that when you would seek to stray, you would find your way back to the presence of God because you remember what that wrestling was like. You remember what it was when God had to come into your life like a wrecking ball to get a hold of your attention 
And God has a connection with you through your dependence. Can I give you one final one? And I'm done. How many of y'all, if I, if I need an extra five minutes, how many of y'all give it to me? Raise your hand. Oh, you fell for it. That's where the preacher said, okay, 5, 10, 15, 20, 20. I think God wanted a connection with Jacob through his remembrance. It's interesting to see the staff in the life of Jacob. If God had given me liberty, I wanted to preach on it, but God wouldn't give me liberty to But you find that the staff has very little significance early in his life. It's there, probably given to him by his parents. Probably given as he headed out the door. It could have been that Rebecca hollered out to Jacob and said, "Uh, Jacob, don't forget your staff. You'll need it for the journey. I wonder how many young people have gone off to college and before they put that final box in the car... They had a praying mama or daddy that came out and handed them a King James Bible and said, don't forget your staff, son. Don't forget your staff. You'll need it for the journey. Don't forget your staff. Many years pass, and Jacob has no real use for the staff. But after this night, he has a use for it. After this wrestling match with God, he has a dependence upon it. And all of a sudden, that old staff that he carried with him all them years that he never needed before, now all of a sudden it's precious to him, for it's the only thing that keeps him going. I wonder how many of us through those trials, through those dark nights, through those nights at the hospital, through those moments, through those times sitting at the emergency room, through those moments of grief, eating through casseroles and sifting through flowers and going through and giving away things that you hadn't seen in years. I wonder how often we've reached for that old staff and said, I see why Mom and Daddy told me I'd need it. Many years pass in Jacob's life. He's an old, old man. His sons begin to come to him. Jacob's about to die. They ask him, say, Daddy, we want you to give us a blessing. Daddy, can you bless us? The book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon his staff. You say, what's the greatest blessing I can give to my children and grandchildren? Show them how to lean on the staff. You say, preacher, what's the greatest thing I can do for young people? Give them a real respect for the staff. Give them a real respect for the Word of God. Because after he had wrestled that night, no doubt, Jacob, he was at a place probably of ease. He's dying. He was probably in his bed. I wonder how silly it would have looked if you'd walked into that room, seen that old man hanging halfway out of the bed on that staff while he worshipped. But that staff meant something to him. For you see, when he held that staff in his hands, he looked back to a night when God finally got his attention. And he could remember how that God has been with him all the way. I wonder how many here, if they were to be honest, would have to admit that God's been doing some wrestling. God's been trying to get your attention about some matters. Maybe there's sin in your life and God's been trying to get you to confess it. Maybe you've just been doing things your way and God's come by to wrestle with you to gain control of your life. Or maybe there's been a distance and God's just trying to draw you closer. You know how you, you, know how you, you get through a wrestling match that you can't win? 
listening? You know how you get through a wrestling match? You know how you end that wrestling match that you can't win? You wave the white flag. You surrender! That's the only way to stop a wrestling match that you can't win. Can I tell you this morning that you can't win this wrestling match? Preacher, I'm troubled all the time. Raise the white flag. Say, Lord, whatever you need out of my life, I'll give it to you. Preacher, I'm just stalled. I can't move ahead. It seems like I'm spinning my wheels. Raise the white flag. Say, Lord, I'll go your way and only your way. Or maybe it's been a few days, a few weeks since you've really been in the prayer closet. Since you've really opened that Bible. And God's been convicting and dealing with you. Why don't you wave that white flag? Reach over and grab that old staff and lean upon it and worship this morning and get back close to the Lord.